everyone, Lisa J here with another episode of No Pink Spandex. You know what? It's not just any other episode. I am joined by Brandon. Hello, hello. And Jeremy. How's everybody doing? doing we're doing fabulous yeah. we're doing fabulous yes. we are doing fabulous because I, I let me just cut to the chase okay let me just cut to the chase okay our guest today was the uh former director of global consumer products power rangers at saban brands he was the uh former director of a global franchise power rangers at hasbro and the current director of global licensing and business development at Funko. Please welcome to the show, Jason Bischoff. Hello, hello, Jason. Hello, hello, everybody out there. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been this has been a long time coming. I'm just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let the people know it's been a long <laughs> time coming. I think we've we've chatted at a convention or two, yeah, and uh, and then and then you disappear off into the ether, <laughs> and then we see you online, and then and then you disappear again. So uh, this says this is a great time to have you on, especially now that Beast Morphers has finally ended. Before we get to all of that, all right, for the people who may not be familiar with uh, Mr. Bischoff, tell us how how you got yourself into these fancy titles <laughs> like, <laughs> like what came before the funkos and the sabans and the hasbros what came before then sure so before i do that again i just wanted to say it's so lovely to connect with all of you i hope you're doing well that you're healthy and uh you know now that i think about it the last time we formally saw each other or some of you was um san diego of 20 18 i want to 18. say 18 yeah well yeah. we had we had like a little bit of brunch on that really lovely out outdoor patio and we had the the beast morpher costumes come out for the first time the brand new ones right. um so yeah um it's cool to kind of reconnect and now that we're a couple of years past that point but thank you for asking the question um so to just kind of dive into it look uh, i've been in the industry the better part of 16 years now um, i originally went to school for writing and anthropology if you'll believe it both of which are, in my mind, intimately related to one another because you can't create a thing unless you have your audience in mind. And in order to have an audience in mind, you need to understand all the pieces and parts that make an audience. Everything from um, their job specializations to the things that just kind of run their daily lives. So if, you, if you've got your audience in mind and you're building a world that feels real to them, um, they're going to find themselves home in that. So that's what I ultimately studied in college. Uh, I wanted to go off and become a Walt Disney Imagineer. Sadly, upon graduation, learned that that was only really possible for architecture and engineering majors for entry level. And then uh, one of my lifelong best friends said, hey, you've been into comics and video games and toys your whole life. You should really kind of look there. And so lo and behold, uh, 16 years later, here we are. But really, uh, it's been an adventure. I've been on the creative side of the spectrum. I've been on the business side of the spectrum. Um, I started in creative at Playmates Toys, did that for three and a half years, then uh, switched my hat to business for about a decade over at Blizzard Entertainment, um, kind of started the licensing team over there, jumped to Saban. Um, the, the joke is that Zordon called and I answered, right? How could I not? Um, okay. And then did that for about three and a half years, all the way through the transition to Hasbro. 
um, and then ultimately uh, left, and and now I'm gratefully at Funko. I've been at Funko now the better part of a year and some change. And we will try to like withhold from asking like where our rest of our Power Ranger Funkos at. We will we will try and not <laughs> ask that question right now. However, however, what does somebody in licensing what does that entail? What did your job entail? Well, first at Saban Brands, what did your job entail? Sure. So it's complicated. Um, and the reason I say that is simply because that's a reflection of the size of the organization. Um, Saban Brands was at its biggest, perhaps 80 something people. Um, and so you had a lot of like, not only job specialization, but a lot of job diffusion. And really what I mean, what I mean by that is for as much as a licensing person by definition is there to monitor, arrange, business develop, um, outbound and inbound licensing deals. Um, at the end of the day, it also is in part a, a, a uh, kind of shepherding, if you will, of projects all the way from negotiation to contract to completion, which can include the entirety of creative and or the entirety of the marketing on the back end. So that, by definition, was kind of what my immediate responsibility was. But because we were a small studio, uh, there was a lot of diffusion. And because I've been a lifelong Power Rangers fan, uh, somebody who was there, so to speak, um, negative day one, um, all the way through to contemporary time, it was actually a big reason why I made the leap over to Saban. You know, I sort of found myself at home amongst some pretty incredible creative people, uh, and they were able to lean on me as as a bit of an internal expert, if you will, a little bit of a hub of knowledge around Power Rangers. And we were in a bit of an iron sharpens iron scenario. So I got to work with some incredible people on the production side, be a champion for the brand um, from a business side, and then somewhere in between a little bit of community management um, as an ambassador and a little bit of... Uh, creative influence over building a, a broader franchise framework, um, which only solidified when we made the transition to Hasbro. Um, and that became my formal title was kind of drawing those sinews together. But at Saban, at least, um, yeah, it was a lot of business development and a little bit of community and a lot of creative and a little bit of um, being an in-house expert. Okay. All right. Bischoff. I mean, sorry, Jason. You know what? Please uh, pardon me if I call you by your last name because we know so many Jasons and I <laughs> and it's so and I'm just like all right like like Jason which one Frank <laughs> Font Narvi like I mean Chan like there's so many of y'all so just pardon I, me I get it I totally get it and in <laughs> in fact if I can share this tiny little anecdote. Um, when I got to Funko, that was one of the biggest critiques that people had of me was that um, there were too many Jasons in the organization. So my boss uh, basically day one designated me JJ Biscuits. Oh, I should say, excuse me. She called me Biscuit um, after the Biscoff cookie, even though my last name is very similar. Um, no. And uh, that kind of mutated very quickly. And senior leadership, like the CEO and the president started calling me JJ Biscuits. Um, and as a result now, nobody, nobody in the org really knows me by anything else. Um, in fact, I had somebody reach out to me not too long ago saying, Hey, I've been looking for you for days. I couldn't find you in the directory because I didn't know your name was actually Jason Bischoff. Um, that is <laughs> hilarious. So, uh, it is what it is, but I, I get it. There are a lot of Jasons. You can call me by whatever you think works. That's fine. Hey, those are good cookies. 
<laughs> I was about to say, like, Cher loves I these love damned cookies. That's why you take Delta flights, because you get the cookies. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. JJ Biscuits. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Now I have to call you. I have to, I have to call you Biscuits. Okay. Now I'm hungry. Um, forgot what I was going to ask you. <laughs> but for the for folks who may not be well-versed into the the eloquently said things that you just ex- described that may be under your purview when you were mm. at Saban Brands, okay? Yeah. Uh, AKA, I'm gonna need layman's terms. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna sure. need like, like bring it down to, so folks sure. can understand like, okay, this is, I talk to these people, they want our money, or they are, I need them to do the thing, you know, so like, so that folks can really tangibly understand what you do, because there's so many people who come onto our social media and literally just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Fair question. So let me say it as plain as possible. Um, licensing is all about, you've got a thing that's perceptively worth something to somebody else. Uh, A lot of times that's story or characters or that kind of thing. And what you do is you're brokering, um, basically brokering a deal. I'm going to let you use my characters or my story um, on your product and you're going to pay me money, right? So um, a great example of this, and this is probably one of the more famous examples of this as we're talking about Power Rangers, is Bondi and Saban Brands. Um, So Saban Brands owned Power Rangers. Saban Brands produced Power Rangers. Uh, Bondi made the toys. So in order to make those toys, they had to license Power Rangers from Saban Brands in order to do that. And somebody not only had to negotiate that deal, but somebody has to oversee that relationship or had to oversee that relationship. That was me. So in in many instances, you know, we're involved in the day-to-day negotiation of not only the flow of money, but also very much so the executional level of stuff, just day-to-day communication between teams, monitoring and tracking creative as it comes in, creative as it goes out, influencing the project in whole and trying to steer it towards success, right? Shared success, because in that example, the more toys you sell, the more popular, well, I should I should probably take a step back. The more popular a show or characters are, um, arguably the more toys that you can sell. And that can be a symbiotic relationship, right? The toys can be very sticky and exciting and be a point of entry for somebody. Um, and then they can discover the show. And inversely, you can have a really exciting and sticky television show, and then people can um, discover the toys or other products. So that was a big part of what I was doing, was monitoring kind of these macro deals, like like the Bondi's of the world. Um, and then on the same token, trying to start new new lines of business or create new and exciting projects. So another thing that I did when I was over there was I was intimately involved in the genesis of our interactive business because we just didn't we didn't really have it. Um, so we were able to strike a deal with Lionsgate and Enway, and we ended up creating things like um, ba- uh, Battle for the Grid, right, um, and and Legacy Wars. So that was a big part of what I was doing. Does that is that easier to palette? Does that make a lot a lot more sense? I thank you. I thank you. Cool. Uh, so 
the relationship between Bandai America at the time and Saban Brands. At what point were did you did you start working with Saban Brands? Around where around which seasons eras did you sure. did you start working with them? So I started in uh, February of 2016. So by that point, most of most not all of Dino Supercharge had already been filmed. Um, there were still maybe six, six or eight episodes or so in the second Dino Supercharge um, left to shoot in New Zealand, um, and I was responsible for basically overseeing the tail end of the toys on that, and then ultimately going into Ninja Steel, which was that's a whole other story. Um, Ninja Steel was kind of this very large transitionary period for both companies and then i was uh, intimately involved in in the beast morphers stuff or what became beast morphers so three er i would say it's three eras um or or three specific shows within the the power rangers um timeline and uh tail end of dino supercharge uh ninja seal and then ultimately all of beast morphers were you hmm. What, did you come in before or after that toy fair? Which toy fair? Uh, in uh, Feb uh, 2016. Oh. oh, also, great question. Um, I started, it was something like three days before that toy fair. That's so, funny. Um, oh, wow. I, yeah, I literally left my job. They didn't let me, my job at Blizzard, they didn't let me take any time off um, because toy fair was that coming week. Um, so I had all of three, four days in the office to just shake hands with a couple people for the first time. And then I had to fly to New York um, to immediately start doing some biz dev. Wow. Can, can you take me back? Come on, <laughs> son. Like, like, is this just like, yeah, you know, I'm used to this, you know, saying, so, you know, this is how, this is how, this is how we move up here in the world, you know what I'm saying? You know, oh, just, God. Like, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't take any time off, you know, just had to jet to New York, you know, do biz no. dev deals, you know what I'm saying, oh, you know, chop it up. I really hope that's not the way that I come off because that's certainly, <laughs> anybody who has ever met me knows that I, that is not me. Um, so, uh, Thanks for the call out and the warning, and I will definitely get a little bit more into uh, just kind of uh, my world or whatever. But um, I mean, what do you want to know? Do you want to know like how I got there or kind of like? No, how did it feel? Like, I mean, I could imagine, right? Like most of us, a lot of us, you know, like if we're moving jobs, it's just like, yeah. So, you know, I stopped working at like the Burger King, right? Then cross sure. the street over to McDonald's, you know, like, sure. you know, they gave me a couple of free fries and then, okay, let's get to work. Like, I mean, yeah. so for yeah. you, that transition, little downtime, you know, yeah. uh, and then having to jump into one of the biggest trade shows, Sure. Like, you know, what, what was that? What was that like? Actually, then let me take it to kind of more of a spiritual and per personal level for a second. So look, I'm, I'm going to make no qualms about it. I'm a religious person. And um, I, you know, at least in my experience, I know that the good Lord has a sense of humor. Um, and that's been kind of like any respects from a professional level. That's been my experience. Um you know, I, I know in, in an extremely privileged way, I've been able to see and do things that most people would, would kill for. And I, I want, first and foremost, your listeners to know that there isn't a day that goes by that I am not 
hyper and extremely grateful for the opportunities that I've been given and the places that I found myself because you know, by all rights and definitions, some of the things I've seen and done are impossible. And I don't mean that as any sort of credit to myself, but rather just a byproduct of some pretty incredible people around me that invited me into these opportunities. So uh, to talk about Rangers, I mean, look, I can't say it any more plain than this. I have been a lifelong fan, period. Um, you know, my first experience with Power Rangers was in the summer of 93 and the triangular eight inch box at Toys R Us. And I bought it not even knowing what it was because it was a Tyrannosaurus and his name was Jason, right? Um, and lo and behold, my life was completely upended and radically changed on August 28th, which was my dad's birthday, uh, when, I saw, when, I, when I saw the show for the first time, right? And I stuck with the show, um, intimately so, um, and, and watched every, every year, every season, every change. Um, and, and this world has always to some, I shouldn't say always, but in many respects, has lived in my head as a rich and luxurious mythology, ripe for exploration and ripe for development. And so much of my childhood is defined by many of the illustrations and stories that I would write about this world. Um, and so to answer your question more directly, look, I've been in the industry, period. It's, it's a wacky industry, entertainment and, and licensing and, and the creative aspects of it. But my opportunity on Rangers really started maybe two and a half, three years before I actually got the job. Because the, the gentleman that invited me into Saban Brands, or I should say the, the person that kind of walked me in and said, hey, you should look at this guy to replace me, um, that, that gentleman originally interviewed to be my boss at Blizzard. And it was only in that experience, he didn't get that job, but it was through that experience, that interview experience that we got to become friendly and then eventually friends. Um, and so three years later or so, um, over the course of a dinner or something, he said, hey, things are going to be changing. I would love to bring you in. Is this something you would be interested in? And so again, that's a perfect telltale moment of the impossibility of it all, right? I was very happy. I'd been working in the video games industry for the better part of a decade. Um, and this guy who had come in to be my boss who didn't get the job, but we had become friendly, lo and behold, he would go on to work at Saban Brands and then ultimately know that he was transitioning out and moving across the country. And he needed somebody to backfill, and he knew how much of a fan. I've always been a loud and proud fan. He knew how much of a fan I was and said, hey, this is the guy. So uh, you know, when I, when I got the job, it was mega – I don't even know how to explain it. Super mega ultra, right? Like my heart grew 10 times that day or whatever because it, for me it was a juxtaposition. It was a connectivity point to tw 20 years prior of uh, me sitting on the couch – watching night you know um day of the dumpster for the first time and it was sort of a rationalization a justification of all of my experiences because all of my experiences both personal and professional were leading to that moment and so i'm just grateful that i got a chance to to step in um because i had been following the show because it was very much so a part of me and i knew exactly where we were day one you know i knew we were whatever, mid-production on, on Dino Supercharge. And I, I knew to an extent what that meant because not only was I watching the show, but I was just like anybody else in the community, um, combing heavily on Ranger Board or, or combing social media for the latest, greatest information, right? That's who I was. I am and will always be an authentic fan. 
I don't know. I'm kind of on a diatribe now, but <laughs> it, it was it was it meant everything to me. It really meant everything to me. And uh, a couple days later, jet setting, if you will, or whatever, to New York. Um, it was very exciting. I was riding a natural high. And, uh, but I also knew that there was a huge amount of work before me because in some instances we were inventing businesses um, to the best of our ability, right? We knew that there was a big responsibility and part of the mandate was help us turn this into a franchise because Power Rangers was kind of a bunch of disparate parts at that point. It was, um, it was an institutionalized toy line in the toy aisle it was a show on Nickelodeon as part of a long-term legacy deal. Outside of that, there really wasn't much of anything. Certainly not from a formal community standpoint. There was little to no engagement with the community. Um, there were, I mean, there was all there were all sorts of opportunities before us to create new lines of business, but you know, those things wouldn't come unless we could help draw all these disparate parts together in anticipation of, at the time, the 2017 feature film. So big task ahead of me, but a full heart, a full and ready heart. That's what it felt like. Well, I, I will say there, there were some attempts to connect with the community. Uh, one of those attempts being the Power Force, and yeah. uh, that was a thing. Uh, so <laughs> that was something that was at times controversial. Uh, yeah, and rightfully so. so. You know, if I can say as much, I was not involved at the genesis of uh, of the Power Force. I think um, if I can say as much, at the time it was a sore spot internally at Saban. Because there was, really? oh yeah, oh yeah, there were some people that, let me let me be perfectly clear. I worked with so many wonderful, talented, engaged, interested and invested people, right? And and so I, I, I say that as a caveat because sometimes things don't work out. You can go into a project with the best of intentions and just not get the result that you were hoping for. And I think that's what happened with Power Force is there was a desire to formally establish a, an influencer network, if you will. Um, the problem with it is it it led to or it bred a an air of elitism within the community, and that was contrary to what we were hoping to achieve with that program. Now, to be clear, I came in, I inherited that thinking, right? Um, and in working with our marketing team, you know, we. Uh, in no uncertain terms, we decided, you know what, we needed to shift our strategy because the reality is everyone is worthy of being at the table. And we, we don't want people to think that you are more or less of a fan if you are engaged in this way. And so again, one of those things in anticipation of the 2017 film was um, we had to take our foot off the gas on power force and then ultimately reinvest in a bigger idea which was ranger nation um yeah so that's a little little bit of side commentary on power force i know it was a sore subject for a lot of people both inside and outside too and rightfully so because not everything was perfectly communicated or messaged um and we you know internally um the power force was probably not being fed enough 
um, and in turn the result, you know, it just created a lot of I think animosity amongst fans, and and that's 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 when fandom is at its worst is when people are competing to be, you know, the queens or kings of a pile that does not exist. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm you know I'm that's one of the things that I'm arguably most proud of uh, as we were. Um, in the Spawn era, uh, is kind of taking our foot off the gas on Power Force because I don't think it would have been healthy long term. Well, let's be let's be real though. Like, I mean, if if a company wants to get their message out, right? They yeah. want to spread the word, whatever, what have you. There are going to be certain outlets that they do go to so that they can either get the widest reach or a a certain type of reach. And let's just be clear, there are people that they, that either Saban Brands or Hasbro, that they're going to go to. And then, and then the uh, rest of the folks, well, we just kind of, you know, wait and see. And so, like, let's yeah. just, I mean, like, if we're going to be adults, I mean, yeah. in the real world, that's how it works. There are going to be sites or outlets that have bigger reach or have a particular reach that can reach a broader uh um, broader people or maybe there's a particular influencer or 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 youtuber or whatever who does have a particular niche down audience where they're going to reach out and do certain things with so me personally yeah. i didn't i didn't have a problem with the idea of it maybe it was the execution that yeah. could have been uh more thought out right let's talk about that so um i i love diving into this stuff because you know i see a lot or i've seen a lot i should say through the years a lot of either mixed messaging or confusion about all sorts of topics both um from the in-show production end of the thing to the lore end of the thing to why didn't they use this costume or that costume Oh, and then it leads to conjecture or hurt feelings or et cetera, right? So at least in the topic of Power Force, what I can tell you is it was it was not built for success initially. It created, it created a badge of honor system um, that led to animosity amongst the com- community because it was competitive in nature. And then I think one of the biggest failings from a Saban perspective is the whole – the whole project was on the precipice that we were going to feed information to our influencer community and that influencer community was going to share it accordingly, uh, perhaps even editorialize. The problem was that Saban, at least at the time, was not maintaining that relationship. We, um, and I say this collectively, we, I mean, there are people that were dedicated from a marketing perspective to run those kinds of lines, those lines of the business, right? I wasn't involved per se. Mm -hmm. Um, But we weren't maintaining our end of the bargain. Um, and and again, that led to confusion, conjecture, and competition where something was supplied and what, however that was supplied to whomever it was supplied to, it yet further exacerbated these feelings of, well, who's really in, who's really out, who's worth something, who's not. Right. It, it just, it, again, it's a very unhealthy relationship. Um, but also I think it would have been, and it was a major failing that we weren't leaning on 
arguably the people that have been putting in the effort for years and no pink spandex is definitely on that short list um you know fandoms evolve just like the brands that they love and it's it's a rare thing to see people put in as much time love and care over time into these you know these passions because let's be real running a podcast like this running a site doing your socials like it is at least a part-time job and Child. you w- and you Child. wouldn't sometimes it's a full-time right. sometimes right. <laughs> and, and you wouldn't do that stuff unless you legitimately loved the material that you were covering and you were in love with the community that you were fostering and so that was one of the things that again i I was only one kind of one guy inside but it's one of the things that i was trying to change both in in um, policy and in practice and for a time i was a bit of a brand ambassador for um, for Rangers. And part of my job, which was really a job that I had given myself um, under under okay. the ble- under the blessing of um, you know several individuals. But you know, I had taken that on because I knew that there was a lot of work that needed to be done in not only helping establish a line of communication, but more than anything, incubate a sense of community um, and help incubate a sense of connectivity for people because there was always going to be there were always going to be the regardless of if it's rangers or otherwise in any fandom there are going to be like the whales right like the 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 bigger sites the groups that cover whatever it may be and i needed to find or i needed to help find a way to not only connect those whales um well i i i'm i'm gonna fall too down this rabbit hole but um look it was it was good work that I believed needed to be done. I did what I could. And more than anything else, the the sentiment that I hope I was I was able to broadcast was that somebody was listening. Um, and somebody was willing to do some of that social listening to see what was working and what wasn't and who who needed more. Um and some of that stuff did factor into bigger decisions and and that was just that was some of what I hoped to accomplish, but we have now sp- spoken for twelve minutes or so on on Power Force. <laughs> About Power Force, yeah. and um, no, <laughs> but like actually, that 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 does lead to me another question of it in terms of not it, but in terms of your like the hierarchy uh, at Saban Brands. So yeah. who who did you answer to? Who did you oversee? Like how how did that hierarchy work? Oh man, um, it really kind of <laughs> depended on. It's, it was situational. By definition, I was licensing and business development, and I rolled into those people accordingly, so the VP of that. Um, if you were talking about comics or the show, even the show itself to some extent, it was a whole other ball, uh, a whole other ball game. So I was very intimately involved in the, the story craft of uh, the comics, which led into other opportunities that influenced into the television show. But really, it started with the comics. And um, I was part of maybe four people uh, that would review material as it would come in or be part of those bigger kickoff meetings with creatives because we had franchise goals, right? You know, it's sort of it's funny now that I think about it in retrospect. We talk about things like the Morphin Grid and Morphin Masters like it's blasé. <laughs> but the reality is in 2016, 
I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody on the street or not on the street, maybe on the, on the street of the community or a street of the street of Twitter. Um, yes. Okay. Was, there you go. <laughs> talking about some of these ideas, you know, I think there were moments in time where things like the grid had been referenced or talked about in the show, but we really didn't talk about it as to what it was or how it connected universes and dimensions. We really didn't talk about how it worked as an extra dimensional omnipresent um, energy source. And, uh, and, and so some of those bigger franchise goals is we had to solidify our mythology. Um, and, and the comics really helped us do that both from a literal storytelling standpoint where we could inject plot points and characters into the overall narration and help steer the stories towards what we were trying to accomplish and whole and mass and then on the same token, we were also laying the pillars for future storytelling, future iterations of the franchise, because now we had a now we had a, a product, and I say that with a, a lowercase p, we had a product that was fundamentally different from many other properties out there, right? We had a, we had 25 years worth of Power Rangers lore, but really we needed to put the brickwork in that connected all of those things in a more formal way so that we, when people are working on, you know, the 26th iteration or the 56th iteration, they're building on the stuff that was loosely there on the field that we had to put together and do a house. Um, and, and so that's, you know, to answer your question directly, I, depending on what I was doing is who I was reporting to. If we were talking about anything creative, um, whether it touched the show or um, in some cases, what was influenced or seen in the toys, um, certainly anything from a narrative perspective, like in the comics, um, I was in the trench, intimately involved in those projects. But at the end of the day, the call, if you will, belonged with um, our head of production, Brian Cassantini. Okay, so your working relationship with Melissa Flores, because you know I'm gonna I'm gonna name drop her and she's been on this oh, show, yes. and so therefore, and then y'all, you know, y'all talk like y'all BFFs or whatever. So I just want to know the working relationship between the two of y'all. Yeah, I cannot say this any more plainly. I love Melissa. Um, Melissa is one of those rare treasures that you, well, in my experience, doing what I do, and for the companies that I've I've done it for. Every once in a while, you find someone with whom you are thick as thieves, with whom you are like a sibling, um, with whom you can share goals and secrets and pains and all those kinds of things. There are all sorts of different names for it. I've heard things like work wife or work husband thrown around. Um, in, in many respects, I look to Melissa as both work wife um, and, and partner in crime. And we, you know, we really got into it because... Melissa was and is a believer, right? She is somebody that loves Power Rangers, and I say that in the present tense. Um, she was somebody with whom I could have a conversation um, at a deep and intimate lore level and know that I didn't have to explain it. I didn't have to explain the 20 steps that got to this point in thinking. We could just have a conversation with a lot of institutionalized knowledge because, um, surprise, surprise, Melissa literally <laughs> wrote the franchise Bible. 
um, it was like the first project that she was given at Saban before she even worked in, in the, in the production team, if I recall. And she ended up crafting it's, it's a custom bound book that is, I don't even know, 600 pages or more, um, that covers each season, you know? So Melissa and I, um, we were buds and we were working friends. Um, and so we did, Wait, we I'm did sorry. a lot. Let me, can I just pause you for a second? Yeah. So you and you say she had to craft the Bible. Yes. So there wasn't any Bible prior oh, that great. was passed along or? Great question. So let me be clear. When you create something and then it's got 10 years of show history or something, and then you sell it to another company, you sell them everything. And they're responsible, in this instance, we're talking about the original Saban selling Rangers as a franchise to Disney. Mm -hmm. Disney inherited all that stuff. And for as much as um, I can celebrate and fans can celebrate what they did with their era of Rangers from a television standpoint, man, oh man, from a, from a business standpoint, or I should say from kind of like a, an archival perspective, um, if I can say as much, they did not do a good job. They did a, a they did a really bad job of maintaining, curating, and um, cataloging a franchise, both from a literal franchise bible kind of stuff, like formalizing the mythology, if you will. They did a bad job at that stuff, and then they did a really bad job um, with the actual archival materials, like show props, costumes, that kind of thing. We are talking, they would finish a season, they would dump it in a giant container and stuff it in um, in, in cold storage, or in some cases, hot storage. No. And so, and, and so when, um, you know, when I, when I came on in 2016, um, that was actually one of the first projects that we, we had to do was, uh, you know, in anticipation of um, things that we were going to be doing from a show standpoint, and then also in anticipation of what was then um, a glimmer of the ultimate um, visual history book, we went to the warehouse, the like capital T, capital W, the warehouse where all this stuff was stored. And we had to go through it piece by piece and identify these things. And in some cases, we had to discard items because, um, let, let me say it no more plain than this, Ranger stuff, to an extent, made to last. Um, except for bodysuits, which often get sweat through, and they weren't properly cleaned, and then they would just like wither away from you know human, Jury, human yeah. oils and that kind of thing. Monsters um, are made from an entirely different material. If rangers are made often of like fiberglass and, you know, spandex, um, including uh, pink spandex, let's be clear. Um, <laughs> so there was some pink spandex, but um, the I'll allow it. Yeah, the the monsters were made of like foam latex. And the problem with that is um, that is a very tricky material. For as much like it's a two, it's primarily a two part compound. And if you don't get the formula exactly right, if the if the ratio is just off by a little, um, it'll look like foam latex. It'll behave like foam latex when you need it to as a monster. But when you put it into archive, it will slowly become a puddle. Um, 
And so that's what we found ourselves with was a lot of sticky stuff, a lot of stuff that had been f fused beyond repair because it was not in a climate controlled situation. Um, you know, and we were lucky to find what we what we found. Um, we've, we found a lot of treasures. Let me let me be clear. And there's a particular moment of my life I will never forget when I actually cracked the crate and found the Astro Mega ship in its entirety and, and almost fainted. Um, Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the original production Astro Mega ship, the one that we had on display at, at, at Morphicon. Yeah. Um, I, nice. I cracked the crate nice. kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark style and, you know, holy light emitted itself from the box. <laughs> um, but... Um, but I, I digress, you know, so you were, you had asked about. The Bible. Oh, yeah, because, the Bible. Because, yeah, because materials. I, yeah. I remember, I believe, because um, I frequently talk to Tony Oliver and in many of the conversations that we've had, I remember him saying, oh yeah, like, you know, before all this started, before everything, like, yeah, I sat down with so-and-so and so-and-so, and, like, we wrote out the Bible. We wrote out the, sh you know, Bible sure. of the show, and what I So, was there any, there was nothing, like, nothing? I can't, it was I can't say that there was nothing, but I, I will definitely say that every show had its own Bible, if you will. That's very common, okay. regardless of whatever production you have. Mm -hmm. But there, there is when you're talking about a franchise that at that point had almost 25 years of history, you would think that there would be 25 years of shared history that was cataloged in some way, arguably right. in a document that was never meant for public consumption, but at least you would know like the do's, the don'ts, kind of the, the, the foundational pillars that make it what it is. So you know that it's authentically Power Rangers. Um, that did not exist, right? In, in, instead, I think a better way to say it is that you had a show for as much as we look at it as, as one contiguous universe. And from a production and practical standpoint, you're really talking about, you know, whatever that is, 18 individual productions. Um, many of them had entirely different crew members uh, and production people involved in the development of these shows. Some of them transitioned over, many of them didn't. And so think of it like 18 different shows that shared the same universe, but had never bothered to share their notes. Awesome. Um, Great. Yeah. So a lot of it was working knowledge, right? And in many respects, Melissa and I were inheritors of that working knowledge. We, um, we were the people involved in helping craft it on the go forward. And then in, in some respects, Melissa, uh, you know, years before I had arrived at Savon, she was already working on the materials to help institutionalize what Rangers was from a, a literal and lore standpoint. Um, and that became basically the like mission one when we landed at Hasbro. And I don't mean to jump ahead, but I think it's important that I highlight this point is when I got to Hasbro day one, mission one was somebody else is going to be sitting here in 25 years from now. Um, and we need to make sure that whatever they are making, they know that there are six brand pillars that are definitive of Rangers. And if you're missing one of those six, then you are not you are not making Power Rangers, right? So that's what we did: is we de we defined those things. Um, and I'm very proud and, and grateful to say that Pillar One more than anything else, and we shan't spend any other time on it, but pillar one is diversity, because that's something that 
Rangers has always been and by definition should always be. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of, again, falling down another rabbit hole here. I'm really good at sure. that. I literally love this stuff. I'm, I'm wondering why all these Bibles keep disappearing, because didn't in the recent interview, Simon Bennett act like they don't have one? I don't know. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't read Simon's most recent interview. Uh, I'll, be... I'll just ju- I'll just generally say that he he mentioned uh, th- him and the writers having to uh, rely um, on Netflix and Ranger Wiki in order to kind of grasp some of the history of the sure. show. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't yeah. surprise. OK, so let me be clear. That does not surprise me. Um, and I guess before I say anything else, first and foremost, God bless him. He's got a, a major task in front of him um, with a lot of expectations. And I'm personally excited for Dino Fury. And I hope he and his team um, totally, totally kill it. And everybody's, uh, you know, loves it triumphantly. And that they they are given the space and, and latitude to do something new. And I hope they do. Um, but those comments do not surprise me. Um, I, I don't know how to say this any more plain, but a few moments ago I spoke to how Melissa and I, in many respects, not all, I want to be clear, but in many respects, we we represented the the working knowledge of the franchise, both where it had come from and where it was going. And more often than not, we were involved in the big questions or in reviewing scripts. And we had to apply that working knowledge in order to help build that broader sense of continuity. So. You know, I exited in April of 2019 and Melissa shortly thereafter. And so you removed a lot of that working knowledge. Uh, so again, that's kind of like si- Simon's comment doesn't surprise me because he, he in essence, is, is saying that he no longer has those resources to help craft the thing he's crafting. So before we get to the rest of this wonderful back and forth, with biscuits. Uh, we... <laughs> oh, I love that story. Uh, we want to tell you about Amazon. Now, for the folks who listen to this show and know the deal, right? You know, we, we're Amazon associates, right? And I know you already have NOP.INK slash Amazon bookmarked so that anytime that you buy some stuff, well, almost any time that you buy some stuff, a little change comes back to us to help support what we do. However, there are people out there who are not Amazon Prime members. Now, oh my gosh. So you're wondering, listen, I, Lisa, I know I hear about Prime members. I hear about Prime, yada, yada, yada. But like the money though, here's the thing. You can sign up for a 30-day free trial at nop.ink slash Amazon Prime. And there's no pressure. Honestly, try for the 30 days, see what you like, see what kind of services that are also given to Prime members, including discounts, uh, other services that used to be, you used to have to pay for, but then Amazon's like, you know, eh, we'll add it in. You can be a Prime member and just try it out for free for 30 days. NOP.INK slash Amazon Prime. Try it for free today. Okay? Now, 
let's get back to these questions. Okay, listen, um, biscuits. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna call you. I, this is the last time. Last time I'm gonna call you that. You're um, but totally judge. welcome to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the um, like they're you know like this is the first time you're appearing on a show, so like there are so many things that we can go down the rabbit hole up and have like deep conversations about. However, mm-hmm. comma. If I don't ask you certain questions, the fans are going to kill me. They they going <laughs> to come after me, and I don't want that too hot pan. So uh, we will we will get back to the the years of Saban. We'll, 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 we'll circle back. I want to remember that Beast Morphers has ended. Mm. And there were many things that were happening with the Beast Morphers. And now that you have moved on and Beast Morphers is done or whatever, now you can talk about some things. Well, at least I hope. At least I hope. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, was no? Oh well. Okay. I, I know. I have one more question because you did bring up Ninja Steel and you said that was a peculiar situation, and so therefore I need you to elaborate, sir, about that peculiar situation, which was Ninja Steel. Um, explain for yourself. I, I don't believe I said peculiar. I think I said I think I said particular. Let me be clear. Particular, particular. Um, okay, sorry. Don't want to put how, words in your mouth. How do I say this? Um, hmm. Well, it was transitionary. I guess that's the best way that I can say it. It was a transition transitionary period for both Saban and ultimately Bondi, and uh, and then that heralded the arrival of Hasbro. And so again, when you had like this, these major changes of norms, where Bondi had been producing the toys for 25 years, and then it was going to be arguably moving to a different company at that time, there was just a lot of things that were cycling through the studio simultaneously. And um, and uh, if I can say this plainly, the stock footage that we had to play with was a bit all over the place. So it was hard. It was hard to build the kind of cohesion that we were hoping for because when you when you take it to brass tacks um the the ninja steel stock footage was multi-thematic um and power rangers is very thematic by nature right i think that's one of the things that people love most about the show is regardless of the continuity which is um which is where i certainly get the most excited the lore and the continuity and kind of building the mythology um, people love that stuff, but I think if we're talking about the audience and whole, they really love the theme because theme is such an important part. And um, Ninja, if I'm not mistaken, just had many themes to it. For as much as it was space ninjas, I guess as an overall theme, it really was not necessarily in the good way a kitchen sink's worth of components. So you had surf riding robots and ufos and it was really hard to explain a a lot of those things from an overall um overall lore perspective so ninja steel at no fault of its own just inherited a lot of challenges on top of a lot of executional challenges that were in the air as, as companies transitioned so hopefully that that clarifies that it was a very particular situation it was kind of a a crossroads or a juxtaposition of all sorts of different things that were happening inside and outside the franchise at the time. Man, an intro had a burger morpher. That was crazy. <laughs> it, did have, it did have a burger morpher. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Did you see the acquisition coming? 
Um, to say it plain, no. Uh, the way that it had been negotiated, and I, I have to be careful about what I say here, but the way that it had been negotiated, there was a general sense of expectation, I think, at, for people at Saban, or at least um, for people like myself. We thought it would come. We thought the acquisition was imminent, but that we would have years to get there. And in reality, we didn't. Um, Hasbro chose to exercise that option much earlier, which was their right. Um, it just was a lot earlier, by years earlier than what we had expected. So in that respect, no, I, I, I didn't an anticipate that it was going to happen so soon. Okay, so... Uh... There are I have, there's like a billion toy questions. I will get to that, but I want to do get to Beast Morphers. Was the the decision to go back to Beast Morphers? Whose decision is that really? At the end of the day, who decides? Like, yep, we're gonna go back in time. Go back to this Sentai footage that uh, we skipped over at first, but we're gonna use it now. Whose decision is that? Great question. Very complicated answer. So um, in Japan, when we're talking about the Sentai show, um, there is a consortium of partners that are involved in the genesis of any one given season. So there, you know, if I think about it off the top of my head, there is Bondi Japan and Toei, um, and there's usually another partner or two involved, it, either from a financier perspective or maybe uh, a, a major sponsor, that kind of thing. So like if any of you watch totally legal subs online, um, you course. see like it's no, a, we like, travel to Japan. Actually, we actually right, travel right, right. to Japan. Yes, we do. Yeah. So it'll say Watch the show there. Yeah. yeah, it'll say something usually at the front um, like common uh, writer guy brought to you by McDonald's, you know, something, whatever it is. So there are many partners that go into making some of the creative decisions that that um that ultimately make the show that we get to consume and enjoy it's very similar stateside so it's not like there was just one person involved you know heim was involved brian and melissa and myself and handfuls of other people at saban at least at the time were involved on top of other partners on the outside too who had a say and for us we were coming off of um, Ninja Steel. Uh, we had a bunch of learnings from the last, at that, I think at that point we had something like eight years worth of new information that we had to play with, everything from Samurai to that point in time. And we were attempting to take all of those learnings, apply them formulaically, um, which is the boring business stuff, and then also look at what was available because Power Rangers is wholly unique. It it starts and stops with the footage that you have available. And so, you know, at the time we were weighing a bunch of different options. Um, you can guess all, all of the options. Uh, they should be very obvious. It's basically all the seasons at that point that had not been adapted. And we also had a projection about where we wanted it to go, what we wanted Rangers to represent on the go forward, how we wanted it to visually casts itself against previous seasons and arguably into bold new relationships. And so as we kind of looked at the board, there were maybe like two options that that were screaming at us and one of one, one of whom 
was a little bit simpler from a production standpoint. Um, and it was coming in with a bunch of HD footage and a very clear beast theme and, and sort of an Evangelion-esque operational um, in-universe organization for us to play with. So Beast Morphers just had, or Go Busters, Hentai Go Busters, had a lot going for it. The suits were gorgeous, but they were leather, right? That was something new. That was something different. They were visually distinct. The helmets were clear and and identifiable. Beasts were very um, resonant thematically. We felt like we could do more with the Beast theme. Um, and then we had all this really cool technical stuff that we could lean into, um, like the Zord cockpits, for example, or even the premise of green energy, which to me is a very timely subject. So we were able to kind of look at that as as it was a constellation of of stars that aligned with where we wanted to go. And that's, you know, by committee, that's the decision that we made. People want to know, sir, that there was another team <laughs> that people wanted. We know what the other no. option was. The, the, yes. You know, and I'm just saying the other option being, sir, why not that option, sir? <laughs> Too many rangers? Well, uh, you know, I... I know, I know everybody really wanted to do a Kiba Ranger. It just didn't feel appropriate. <laughs> um, yes. it, no, for, for as much as like, it was a nice and, and small and focused group of teens, it just, something just didn't say, you know, six to 11 um, to me. So um, no, no, no. Uh, I, I cannot get into some of that stuff, um, but what okay. I can... But what I can do is um, recently I've been having a little bit of fun online in the midst of a pandemic, um, engaging some conversation. And I've been posting little little things here and there um, under the hashtag power down, right? And you are welcome to dive into it. But basically it's all the, in my mind's eye, it's the what could have beens, um, maybe a little bit of background information, some stuff that was never revealed, and then my own personal musings. And this one, um, recently I posted a power down um, with our mutual friends over at Let's Talk Toku, and it was it was basically an, an adaptation of Q-Ranger. So if you are interested in that, it's basically 20 minutes of me talking, but ultimately pitching my version of what Q-Ranger could have looked like. Oh, so I, I thought we were talking about Jojo. I didn't know we oh, were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm thought sorry. we were talking I... about Toku, Jer. I'm sorry. My bad. No one's like, ever talking. No about one's talking about Tokyo. Nobody's talking about that. Gosh, I I sort of misunderstood. I thought you were talking about Die Ranger. My bad. My bad. I mean, it's oh. kind of been done, like a little bit. So like, are we going like, back to Jetman now? Are we going back to Jetman? <laughs> <No. laughs> hey, 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 we did some of that with Supersonic, Supersonic That's Rangers. True. That's, That's true. very true. That's very true. Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. We, we won't talk about Blitz powers, though, so we're just going to just... Oh, boy. Uh, Blitz new powers! We're just going to move on from there! Okay, so... I would, I just... I recall when that Toy Fair happened. I think it was one... I think it was my first Toy Fair. I could be wrong. I don't know. There's okay. so many that have passed by. Like and, February of 2018, right? Oh, oh yeah. And uh, I remember being... Uh, in the area 
<laughs> was not in the room, but I was in the area, and I was like, oh my gosh, they went back to peace. OMG! Like, I was like losing my mind because mm-hmm. I loved GoBusters, and that was one of my favorite Sentai Same. when I used to travel to Japan all the time. So, so then when we came up to the ab- adaptation portion, and uh, incorporating how uh, how products would work with that show, you know there were there have been some things that have come out as toys mm. that we know and love and great, and then there are some that haven't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, do do you do you have any ideas as to why some toys make it? make the cut and some toys do not yeah and i can kind of answer that from a general and institutionalized perspective um the appetite for toys has changed dramatically in the united states over the last decade or so um 10 years ago we had fewer but more meaningful quote unquote action brands in the toy aisle, many of whom had an opportunity to do figures and vehicles, maybe even separate accessories, larger vehicles and play sets. And within that, we call them sort of stripes, if you will. So you could have a three foot stripe of, I'm gonna use a competitive brand for the sake of example, but a three foot stripe of Ninja Turtles, right? And the top, the top two thirds of that stripe, if you go into at the time Toys R Us or Walmart or, or um, Target, the top two thirds of that stripe would probably be figures, and then the lower third would be vehicles, play sets, and accessories, um, including role play. So keep in mind that um, first and foremost, retail in Japan is different from retail here, and when you're developing a show that was built specifically for the Japanese market, or when you're adapting a show that was built specifically for the Japanese market, not everything is, not all the toy concepts can port over because there's really no home for them on the shelf, especially when the market has dynamically shifted so much. So today, as we're looking at like, what's most valuable in the toy aisle? Well, generally speaking, institutionally speaking, today, there is there are more brands competing for the same space at retail. Microtransactions are king, um, as compared to like figures, because figure play on the whole is down. Um, role play is up. Play sets are almost entirely gone, and so mm. that those are the kinds of things that you see reflected in the line at retail. So I guess to be more specific, that's probably why something like Beast Morphers has some figural, a lot of role play, no play sets. And then Zords, by definition, are kind of like in between figural and play set, or at least the way that they're merchandised. And so, and they can also get very expensive too. So yeah, yeah. it's it's tricky, right? So those are those are general observations around the toy industry and a little bit as to how that could be translated through the lens of beast morphers but also keep in mind too that the appetite around toys is younger than it used to be price there's more price sensitivity 
And then there's a lot more stuff, not just to other toys that are competing for those same dollars, not the least of which would be video games, which are bigger than ever and continuing to get bigger. So it's just a lot of that kind of stuff, right? Is for as much as a show might have um, Lion Howe in it, uh, there may not be a physical spot in domestic retail to do um, a, a Beast X King Ultrazord. Not anymore, badly. I mean, I, I kind of figured that's what it was with the Zord, but that's also why, like, because they had, because remember in GoBusters, they had that dumb briefcase that turned mm. into a gun, and like it never even showed up in Beast Morphers, let alone yeah. mm -hmm. have a toy of it. Yeah, Just it was replaced it. by um, the Cheetah Blaster, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, uh, yes, the, the, the whole that, that's ah. also been a weird thing that it, Power Rangers has been into this last decade the whole idea of like, I'm in the cockpit, so I have to pull out a weapon in order to do my finishing move with the Zord. That's been yeah, a big thing. <laughs> that, that was mostly driven by toy, right? It was a chance to do additional upgrades for all the Rangers and cut additional figures. Uh, so was that, um, so that, that thing that you're doing as far as like having the extra weapons that they use in the cockpits, was that something that was mainly due to like having more like toy playability as far as like selling the toys? Um, I think that played a big part in it, certainly. Okay. Um, the, the other part, too, was that tradition, if you will, was established with samurai. And mm -hmm. sam samurai basically um, was a major infusion of cash back into the show, re-inheriting re it back from Disney. So, you know, as much as the toys were adapting to new tastes, the show was as well, because um, at that point, retailers and broadcast wanted the theme to last longer right they wanted two mm. years so um, because they felt like that was more resonant to the audience and then ultimately more resonant for toy sales because you could sell two years worth of product versus just one mm -hmm. so that was those were some of the decisions that went into why we went to two-year stretched themes and then ultimately you know new forms that were um, rationalized to help justify those new themes or those extended themes. But Samurai was the weirdest with that. Let's put on giant armor, but we can only wear it in the cockpit. What? What is that? <laughs> it's it's an it's an interesting idea, and I'll be honest. Part of me really likes the idea. There, I think there's a there's a lore something or other there of of like speaking to how um, connected they are with their Zord. Um, but I also hear you. It's a little frustrating that you can't see those cool suits in action outside of the cockpit. Right. Well, whoever made up made that beast morphers, that giant uh, lion crossbow. That thing's pretty awesome. So <laughs> that was the whole team. That was yeah, product Love development that. team. Okay, so I know that you have you know posted some pictures of you actually going visiting the set, and uh, how much involvement did you have? uh or if if any uh with the any story input any overarching themes that uh that you or any other departments wanted to kind of uh, synergize <laughs> with production like what what with beast morphers was your primary secondary tertiary objective Sure. 
So remember, my role changed between Saban and Hasbro. Um, <laughs> at Saban, I was, by all rights and definition, a business hat doing creative stuff. And then at Hasbro, I was a creative hat doing business stuff. Um, so I had a different set of responsibilities. And to be clear, Beast Morphers was kicked off well before the acquisition at Hasbro. Um, so it, it is very much so a product of you know, two entirely different management teams, um, but one product, you know, one, one show. And um, so to answer that specifically, I mean, I was involved. I was very involved. Uh, I've read out of the 44 scripts, I think I read 43 of them. Um, I was able to put input um, against all 43 that I read. Ironically, um, the script I didn't get to read, uh, which had come in the week I had left, was um, Grid Connection. Um, really? Are you oh, no. serious? Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, it out was, of all of them. Out of all of them. Out of all of them. So, um, you know, we had, we had already laid the groundwork and brainstormed and landed ideas and planted some of those seeds, but I didn't get to see that script um, all said and done. Um, so I was involved at a, at a scripting level um, and then also trying to make sure that there was cohesion between what was happening on screen and then ultimately in the product line and inversely too. So things like, you know, your um, B-Sex King bow, making sure that that was actually integrated in the show and vice versa. Um, what else? I mean, the other thing too is like from a franchise level, again, we were building this thing. Uh, so emphasis on things like the grid and how that tied into the overall show and how that tied into other expressions, whether it be in video games or at the time, things like Shattered Grid, for example. I was intimately involved in making sure that these, you know, working in, in team and in parallel with all sorts of other amazingly talented people, not the least of which Melissa Flores, but, you know, we were all herding these cats, if you will, into the, into their appropriate cute little dens or whatever. And, um, you know, so it very intimately involved in this stuff that said, you know, I, I want to be clear that there is, when you have all sorts of different people contributing in that way, there's always going to be a line. Um, and you can take something to the line and then somebody else is going to make the call. Um, and so, you know, when you're talking about a, a show, more often than not, that's the showrunner. Or if you're talking about... Um, the production office that's going to be likely the vp that sits in that production office so it can be very relational and you can lobby and do your very best um but beast morphers like every other season before it and any other television show or really any other creative endeavor where there's multiple people involved it is a a product it's a chorus of people and at the best of times it's it's everyone singing the same song in the same key. And in the worst of times, it's everyone singing their own songs in different keys, right? So it just, it's a, it's a monumental or Herculean effort and uh, good folks um, that I know and love, they, they have done and did their best. And, and I hope that every day I, I walked in and did the same. And if there are things that you absolutely love about Beast Morphers, celebrate it because it took thousands of hours and thousands of happy accidents um, and, and a lot of hard work to make those moments shine. And if there are moments that don't connect for you, that's okay too, because 
Um, either that's a that's a product of a miscommunication or a missed opportunity, or that moment wasn't designed for you. It was designed for somebody else. And and that's one thing that I do have to emphasize with Rangers is um, it's a very unique franchise, right? For as much as it is a now 27, 28-year-old franchise, um, it's speaking to a wide breadth of people um, all the way down to, you know, your sort of Zygos. Uh, yeah, you know, like you've got you got two three-year-olds that are coming into this as their first expression of superhero anything, and then you've got folks like myself who have been with it's been with them their entire lives, and that's what that's what this whole franchise is doing. It's attempting to build bridges between all of those generations, and so if something doesn't connect for you, I just I just sort of say it. I can I can say it no more plain than this: is that not everything is for everyone. Everything is for someone. Um, and I, I just hope that as a, as a total work, uh, it lands for people because a lot of love went into it. Well, that was wonderfully put. Um, and I thank you for putting that so wonderfully, but you know how we do on the show. Listen, oh, yeah. these morphers is over. It's done. <laughs> so therefore there has to be certain things where you're like ah yo like they ran out of time to do that oh you know we plan to do that but ugh, dang time and budget mm -hmm. so any of those cases anything like that popped up sure um i also want to caveat that i have no tea right like i went through my own experience and um i'm still in some cases working through feelings for my overall experience so any opinions that i share here on forward are purely that it's just my opinions um for better or for worse but they're not directed at any one particular person so heavy caveat lots of asterisks underline bold whatever you need to do footnotes okay you know turn to page 47 sure sure sure, sure, sure. so okay got you yeah so i mean yeah there are things about the show that i would have loved um to have been shaped slightly differently um let me be clear that would not be in the cast at all i think the cast is spectacular i love each and every one of those people and i think each and every one of them brought something special um into the show and it's also arguably one of the most diverse casts that we've done to date, which really hits home for me. Um, outside of that stuff, I'm talking about like those things that just kind of was like a, a miscommunication moment or I, that could have done been done a little bit differently. You know, one thing that might interest you and your audience is what's up with the scarab and the mantis? Um, I know this has come up a little bit conversationally amongst folks online. And I'll be honest, um, when we were identifying the creatures that we wanted associated most with each individual ranger, um, there was concern, chorus concern, overall business concern, that beetles weren't necessarily um, as as perceptive cool. as perceptively cool as some of the other beasts that we had in the show, right? So. Um, and, and to be clear, that's a cultural thing as well, because in Japan, beetles are revered, um, and each each type of beetle has like a very distinct um, and known cultural zeitgeist understanding around them, rhino beetles, etc. So we were sort of tasked with, okay, can we come up with two insects that might stand in as um, as suitable replacements? We had 
attempted to find suitable replacements. We identified Scarab and Beetle as cool alternatives. When I, uh, when we had the discussion about this, I had pitched that gold would be Scarab and um, silver would be Mantis. Um, and my rationalization was kind of twofold. The shape of a scarab's um, horn, or horns, if you will, was semi-reflective of Gold Ranger's existing um, helmet shape. Uh, and more importantly, uh, when we looked at silver, on the outside of his bracers, he had these sharp edges, uh, which kind of looked like a mantis. Um, also, the uh, the silver zord, even though um, it was originally based on a beetle, if you look at it in a certain way, instead of the the front protrusions being mandibles, you could see those as um, the mantis's front claws. And then I think the screw holes um, at the front of the zord looked like a mantis's head. So that's what I had pitched originally um, was mantis and scarab. For those specific forms and i felt like there was a little bit of rationalization in the costumes to justify those ideas um sadly you know the production office or um, overseas they just they liked the animals but they didn't like the rationalization so they flipped it so that's how gold became mantis and silver became um scarab i would have loved to have reversed that a little bit but that's a very small technical thing right they're like, nice, nice, cool story, bro. We're doing the opposite. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, okay. Oh, um, gosh. Same thing for, you know, if we want to talk macro. I mean, uh, this is a timing thing, but I would have loved to have been involved in Grid Connection. Because um, I, had, I had and continue to have ideas around how that could have been done different from an executional level. And... Um, I, you know, and I can tell you straight that there were all sorts of different takes, um, pitches for how we would adapt that footage. This was one of them, um, but I think there were other ones that were equally or more strong that I would have loved to have seen transition to film that would have um, drawn the universes together a little bit more. One that involved, and this one is going to come with a little bit of a drum roll here, but there was a take that I had pitched that included... Um, the backstory for the Dark Ranger, which more famously is known as like the Talon Ranger amongst the community. But I would have loved to have integrated him in some way. Or there was even another take that maybe leaned more heavily into what we were doing with comics at the time and featuring some of those characters that I would have loved to have done as well to lend further cadence to those stories that we were telling in comics to get further blur the line between live action and that storytelling medium. Hmm. Well, I mean, okay. Well, I would say that there, there, there were some, there, you know, some connections with the show and the comics and some blur and some, you know, pick from here and pick from there, whatever. And uh, and I, I mean, like overall, like the span of how how long the comics have existed. However, don't you think, sir? that maybe the way in which we approach these team-ups are a little bit... There's, there's, there seems to be mixed messages in which we approach the team-ups because who, who, to whom are these team-ups speaking to? 
at the mm. end of the day. And this is more rhetorical than you having to answer. But <laughs> like, it's it, it seems as if like we have teammates. Hey, look, older fans or semi older fans. Listen, we have these people. We're gonna bring them back, and then they're brought back to be to look at <laughs> for lack of a better term um i think i think maybe explaining for the audience how come some of these almost all of these team ups kind of fall short in a lot of cases but some of them actually work out how how come how how much how many uh, machinations have to go into like coordinating all of that and and how many times does that those versions of those team ups are are seen before we actually see it on our television because it might start off with one idea that might be favorable to fans and then on the television screen it may be different to be nice to put it nicely Mm-hmm. That's a th- that's like three very complicated questions. So I'm gonna attempt. <laughs> I'm gonna attempt Sorry. three very simple answers. So um, the first is who's it for? Um, the answer is yes. Uh, at, in, in the in the best of circumstances, um, those kinds of episodes are meant to be a wink and a nod towards folks that are invested who have been with the franchise for a long time. And it means something that to them to see an icon return. Um, it's also equally meant for the, the core audience. Um, you know, those six to 11s, or in some cases, uh, you know, two to sixes um, that might be watching the show that have never seen these characters before, but it, you know, the simple introduction of another ranger from a team that is not familiar to them can spark a kind of curiosity to have them potentially explore other seasons, whether that be through Netflix or whatever. Um, so the answer is yes. It's it's intended. The intent is for everybody. Executionally, they're very complicated. Um, more often than not, what people don't know or don't realize is that a lot of team-up footage comes from uh, Japanese films. And the reason why I bring that up is because there are all sorts of other rights issues associated with the Japanese films versus the Japanese TV series. These things are seen almost entirely separate from one another, even though they star the same characters and in many instances um, take place within their same continuities. So the rights issues can get very tricky. And what you can or cannot use, what you can or cannot reference, can equally be tricky. A perfect example of this is in Dino Supercharge. Um, there was an expectation that people were going to see the Dark Ranger on screen. There was an equal um, hope and expectation that that was going to happen internally, but the rights could not be worked out in time. And so the production mm. had to pivot, right? Wow. Okay. Um, and so that's why you see some of those story threads unfulfilled is because you know rangers rangers shoots two seasons worth of television 44 ish episodes um over eight months time that's a very accelerated schedule you know sometimes you're shooting two or three episodes a week um in different segments or snippets um, between three different production teams so it's a lot to track and manage right 
So the first answer was yes. The second answer is, unfortunately, the footage that you're drawing from sometimes can get very complicated. And then the third answer, maybe there's a fourth answer, but the third answer is talent. Um, so I say this with all due love and respect. You have a franchise that has lasted 20, now 27, 28 years. Um, the Rangers, as they appeared in their teenage years, may not be the way that they appear in their 40s. Um, and that's by no means a knock. That's simply a reflection of time. Um, you know, nobody is fixed in time. And um, people have entire except lives. Except for Walter Jones. I was going to say, except, except for Walter Jones. Jones. Yeah. yeah, that's true. true. Well, you know, um, that's fair. Walter, yeah, he, he is a spectacular specimen in that respect. Um, and to be admired. Um, so, you know, you, you know, people change, footage is challenging and it's for, and it's for, um, yes, but also people, people's schedules are constantly in flux, right? Especially for like a passion project for something like Rangers, because not everybody's available for that kind of stuff. Some people have entirely different lives or careers that they now pursue that have nothing to do with entertainment anymore. So they're no longer available. Um, and then there's the last piece too, which is how many people are in the room and how many people are um, trying to put something into it. You know, when you when you make all these factors or you take all these factors and you stir them in a pot, you know, the best of examples would be, you know, um, you know, and there are team ups in my mind that really stand out. Uh, SPD Dino Charge is probably like a prime example. Um, and then there are others that maybe don't click as much for for folks. But I go back to my statement from a couple minutes ago, which is not everything is for everybody, but everything is for somebody. So if it doesn't exactly work at um, at our level, at the dedicated fan level, well, in a sense, that's that's a kind of failing. But to a degree, I would hope that at least the team up. Um, highlights some cohesion between shows and it raises some questions because that's really what we, we get super excited about is like or maybe even answer some questions that's the stuff that we can really gravitate to the big lore questions or even allusions to other other things that have happened in the universe um you know but it, it you're not guaranteed that these things are always going to hit it out of the park because there are so many factors x factors that go into it and um, people, every single person that's contributing into creating the show has an entirely different objective. Um, the showrunner is trying to do one thing. Franchise people may be trying to do another. And uh, and not everybody's always going to see eye to eye. Um, so sometimes that comes out on screen too. But that's not a knock on anybody. It's just priorities can be different even internally. So you take all of this and you turn it into a stew and hopefully it's delicious. Um and sometimes it's not, but at least there was something to remember about it. And when you re referenced the uh, SPD team up, I, you meant Dino Thunder, right? Not Dino Charge? Did I say Dino Charge? Charge? Forgive me. You yeah, I meant Dino Thunder. Okay. Yep. Okay. I was just like, I, look, I, I know it's been a minute since I have <laughs> this, but... <laughs> now, now, to be fair, yeah, to be fair, you can just say Dino and then spin the verb wheel and and oh and find something right so Good. dino thunder dino charge dino fury um who knows what could be waiting for us on the on the horizon don't say dino force don't do it, don't uh, do it. I, it's coming i didn't it's i didn't say it 
Don't it's do it. Coming. Watch I mean, it. Watch it. Be technically it 40th happened. anniversary of Dino Force. <laughs> oh, or, oh boy. Hear me out. Power Rangers 50. Power Rangers Dino Dino. No. God. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what Dino Thunder kind of means. Like, sure. Di- sure. Yeah. Dinosaur means thunder in it. Yeah. Yeah. This fair. Is true. Oh my but gosh. Let's just, it's just going to be. It's just going to be Dino 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 Dino, and they just, you know, it's a rebrand. It's a no, complete it's... rebrand. And, no, it's uh, it's yeah. Dino Might, but the actual word Might. let's stop giving them ideas shall we okay um all right so i in when you were talking about the many things that you guys tried to uh build as a franchise right Mm -hmm. we've talked we, we we we've so a little bit talked about a little bit about the comics. I've always said on this show that the comics are one of the best things that has ever happened in our lives, and um, I I am thankful every day that these comics are here and are bringing stories that were well needed. Uh, so I was on I was on the twitters. And I happen to see something uh, about, you know, because you have the, I guess you have these power downs, you know what I'm saying? These power downs that you have here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, I don't know if it was either in a power down or it was in a, a, referencing another interview that you've done, but you, ref, you reference Mr. J.J. Oliver, mm. sir. Yeah. And I just, just for, just for, you know, our fans who listen, um the the origins of the jj oliver uh i mean uh can you can you elaborate on mr jj sure so um perfect example of in the show in ninja steel tommy had thrown out and and this was just it was a throwaway line but um he said something like JJ, pick up your bike or something. <laughs> um, we never saw the character, but there was illusion that there was a child in that house and that Tommy had a child. We picked up that thread, and for Soul of the Dragon, um, we told to, we, we had chosen to tell a story about kind of Tommy's last hurrah um, using the Master Morpher. And, uh, and we developed the character of JJ a little bit further and established that he was Tommy's son and a cadet of SPD, um, and ultimately, he would go on to become SPD Green and yet further inherit um, the Dragon Shield. Um, so, which would be like the last vestige of of Tommy's legacy, right? It's kind of a, a torchbearer moment, um, if you will. And to me, there's a, a beautiful poetic curve in all of that, um, especially when you go back to the origins of the Dragon Shield and it actually being a, a product, an artifact of Rita's mother. Um, so there's there's kind of a, a a beauty if you look at at that item as an artifact and and the story that has been woven or the stories that have been woven around the dragon shield. Um, but JJ specifically, I think you're referencing his name, and I I need to be very very clear here that this is my opinion. It's something that we talked about, but it's nothing that we ever canonized. So okay. this this could be the answer or some other writer can answer it differently down the line but in my mind's eye jj oliver um is actually an actually an honorary name 
and Tommy named it after two of the most inf- – or Tommy and Kat, I should say, collectively. They named their son after two of the most influential people in their lives, um, the first being Jason. Um, not me, but rather um, Jason Lee Scott, the original Red Ranger. So the first J in JJ to me is Jason. And then the second J in JJ is Jarvis, uh, which is in reference to TJ, um, the man who would inherit Tommy's original red turbo powers. And in my mind's eye was arguably one of his greatest confidants and partners throughout their respective careers as Rangers. So to me, JJ Oliver is Jason Jarvis Oliver. So I saw this, right? And now, okay, opinion, right? So I could imagine myself, right? A woman, right? And I'm pregnant. And I'm like, oh, looking over at my husband, but like, oh, look, we're going to have this baby. Oh, it's going to be a son. Oh, I'm so happy, right? Oh, I love you. You love me too. That's great. But then by the time we get into the hospital, and I have to push out that baby. I don't like that man. I want that man to get away from me. I want I want to kick him in the face for doing this to me. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing about this that is pleasurable, nor enjoying, nor a wonderful experience. Okay? So the last thing in my mind that I want to do is go name my child after... Uh, 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 some guy I met like briefly, right? And 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 my my husband's ex boyfriend. Like I don't. That's not. <laughs> that's not in my DNA. Like mm-hmm. I want to be like, <laughs> look at my family members first. I want to like, you know, like oh look, my father. Maybe my maybe named after my father, or maybe named after my baby daddy's father. You know, like that's in my mind. Just mm-hmm. from a woman's perspective. <laughs> And I totally, like respect, I totally respect that. And again, it's not. It's, <laughs> let me be clear: it's not canonized. Um, and it's not canonized. Okay, yeah, so that's this, this is my great. opinion. But right. I, I and... would, but I would also, I do want to caveat here that um, I think there were seeds planted both in the show and in the comics that reinforced the and idea Catherine. that. And, yeah. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> Cool. Moving on. Um, but <laughs> I think I think that horrible, there's enough horrible. there from a lore standpoint to suggest that Rangers have careers outside of their immediate season, and in many instances, those careers involve team ups with other Rangers. There is a connectivity in the broader universe. We've seen a lot of this in Beast Morphers materialize, even in like Doctor K, for example, being a part mm. of the show. And um, and so to to me. There are all sorts of untold adventures that Kat has been involved in, <clears throat> that Tommy has been involved in, that TJ certainly has been involved in, because they were all hyper-familiar with one another in um, Dimensions in Danger. And I think the best version of that story is that I think those rangers, especially those senior rangers, they've seen some shit. And, <laughs> and they've, like, they've likely tackled it together. And so who knows what went into the inspiration of JJ. It's not canonized, but it's my opinion. When you have a, a franchise that has lasted so long and hearing the the roller coaster that is trying to build out a franchise, and then you kind of look at other franchises and you don't want to compare. However, one 
does compare. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I often compare this franchise to something like a Star Wars where roughly around the same ages, give or take a decade. But the 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 possibilities of world building, the possibilities of building up a franchise and some of the things that are definitely missing currently in Power Rangers where we could be we could be like a Star Wars. There is there is enough worlds and universes and things where we could be like a Star Wars and yet we people the GP as I call them still look at it as like oh yeah that kid show that show that show's still on wait that's on wait really oh wait they actually have a comic like you know like not the 1994 ones like that they have to actually have a current comic that's good like what we still have that stigma. I mean, we're, we, it's better than when I was in school, right? It's way better. But there is still this notion that we are the preschool show. Star Wars is currently facing their... It's currently facing some of the... I don't want to say issues, but they're, they're currently facing an era of, like, any time that they make one of their blockbuster movies, it's like oh my gosh, if we don't add all nostalgia in here and tie it back to everything nostalgia, then nobody will like it and we'll die and nobody will watch our movies and we'll die. And what ends up happening is like, they they really end up catering to, unfortunately, everyone instead of just like making like, hey, let's actually make a solid story. And, and then that will ed ed eventually and evidently cater to everyone. But uh, but but now with the Mandalorian, especially, they're like, oh wait, actually, we could tell a good story. Oh, oh, we could tell a good story, and then let let that that lead, and then sprinkle in the nostalgia yeah. when it's necessary and applicable and makes sense. So it just reminds me of how current. I mean, how Power Rangers. It, you know, it's very uh, similar where. Yes, having ties and you know to some nostalgia is nice, but if we're if that's the crux of it, then we may end up making the same mistakes that Star Wars had been doing and now is trying to course correct. That there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I I don't think the apt I don't think the apt connection or the apt parallel is Star Wars. I actually think it's Barbel. Um, and if I can say as much, really? in, yeah, in my in my mind's eye, you know, I, I sort of find myself at the same place, or I, I think the franchise finds itself in the same place where Marvel was in the late 90s. Um, Marvel had been coming off of what was then, from a publishing perspective, some bankruptcy. Um, they had a long tradition of characters, a very dedicated, but by comparison, niche audience to anything else that was happening in entertainment. And that was not the era of big franchise films or franchises in general, right? But Marvel had, at that point, they had 40 years of, of um, Spider-Man and uh, a huge era of X-Men that they were winding down. And there's this big question of like, well, it, is it over? Um, at the time, the people that were running the studio said essentially yes. 
uh, and they sold off as much as they could. So they sold rights to Universal and Sony, etc. And it would be just a few short years later that people would start reinvesting again and trying to build it into something else. It's hard to imagine that that's the case because today we live in an era of 23 films, some of which are the biggest grossing films of all time. We have um, shows that happen in parallel for all ages, cartoons for all ages, uh, a wealth of publishing material, and it's just omnipresent in the zeitgeist. None of that would have been in perspective had it not been for the contributors and the investors and the vision that took it out of obscurity and bankruptcy in the late 90s and turned it into what it is today, not just a few short years later. And it, you know, 20 years is not short by any means, but when you look at the volume of work that's been published over the last decade alone, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I think that's where Rangers is today is it's at this very unique juxtaposition of, to your point, a degree of obscurity, a rich and long tradition. And I think it's waiting. It's waiting for the right people, the right time, the right moment, the right investors to help grow it out of that. Uh, will it happen? I vehemently, I, excuse me, I vehemently believe that it can happen. Um, we put in too much good work. I put in um, so much of myself into um, building something uh, for somebody else to pick up. So my hope is that we did good enough work that when somebody does come along, whomever that they that may be, they can inherit what we did, and that's not going to inhibit them, but rather that's going to arm them towards reimagining and and making it something else, making it for the next generation or generations. Um, I think Rangers has the capacity to be that. I like your optimism. We need to. I do. <laughs> you know, go ahead, Jeremy. I so I've been thinking about this a lot because you and I were talking about the the Star Wars thing too, and I definitely see the Marvel thing because I mean, the late '90s was when I really got into Marvel, and I know that's when they had the bankruptcy, and that's why they had the you know they're just selling off movie rights just to keep money into the product. Um, mm. But so I look, I look at it and like, I, I think about like the last team up with Power Rangers, right? And like we were questioning earlier, like, who is this for? Because you have Jason show up. You don't talk about what he's been doing. It's just, let's be happy that Jason is here. You have the Dino Thunder team show up. Literally none of them talk. None of them. It's just, hey, they're here because we have footage of it. We have, you know, four sixths of the of the dino charge team up and it's still kind of what have they been doing who cares we have a bad guy to fight let's let's fight the bad guy and that's kind of where my question comes in because i'm like so for the longtime fans all you're really giving us is the visuals and for the new fans who might not even know these teams it's just like here's some more dinosaur rangers they're cool right all right they're gone so i always look at these team ups and i'm like I feel like the best way to approach them would be fewer Rangers, but make the Rangers that you have count. Give me a reason why this Ranger is here and why I care about them. You know, because like as me, as a, as a fan of RPM, I see Gemma show up and I'm like, I'm excited Gemma's here. But there, nothing that Gemma ever said or did was specifically Gemma. You know, it was just any Ranger could have said that. 
And I, I, I look at Star Wars and I look at like the Mandalorian and I'm like, that to me, that was incredibly successful because it was 100% its own thing. But when it wanted to draw on the expanded universe, it cherry picked and it's like, okay, this is really over with the fans. Let's use this. This is really excited with the fans. Let's use this thing. We don't have to have, you know, Chewbacca show up just for the heck of it. We can do what really, really works with them. And I feel like Power Rangers would be a lot better if it would be really specific and say like, okay, fans really care about this. Let's take it but let's not just show it off. Let's really give you a reason why this character is there. Let's really show you why they're there. Let's really make you connect with this character, whether you're a longtime fan or a new fan. And I feel like a lot of the team-ups in recent years have been very big on fluff and very little on substance with that older stuff. And I think that that adding that substance is what's going to draw in fans of multiple generations and Unfortunately, the only place we really seem to be getting a lot of that is the comic books, and that's a large part of why we love the comics. Sure. Well, I, how do I say this? Um, don't disagree, but there is a... I should probably say this first and foremost, is like um, I wasn't involved in Grid, grid Connection. Right. Um, I don't. I don't know... Uh, what contributed into the decisions that were made that ultimately produced that episode. I think there are a lot of very interesting and cool things baked into that episode. And um, far be it from me to diminish anybody's work in it, because I'm sure it took a lot of work to pull that off. Um, I will say that if you love the comics, celebrate that. Cause like, that's what, that's what I was trying to articulate earlier is, you know, it takes a thousand happy accidents and a lot of hard work to make the stuff that you like. Um, and if those moments connect for you, or if those episodes connect for you, or if the books connect for you, um, I, I really can't say this any more clearly than celebrate that for all it's worth. Um, because it, it is a, it's a magic thing to capture that level of good um, and clarity. And not not every group or team, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking in general, not specifically about Rangers, but like not every group or team or production group or or whomever um, who's making stuff like this at a franchise level, not all of them are necessarily set up for success, um, or they just have simple everyday challenges of what it is to make a TV show or on time or with cameos or who knows what else goes into those decisions. So um, I agree with you. And the only way that you transition um, into some of those bigger picture opportunities, as we're talking about, like a, a marvel from obscurity into what it is today, it's going to take very special people and a lot of patience and a, a lot of people being set up for success, both financially and um, with the backing to reinforce a vision. So like I said, I, I hope that stuff comes for rangers because i legitimately love it with all my heart and i know you guys do as well and i hope that the good work that we put into it will pay off in, in in some way shape or form um down the line with with different people involved right because i mean i i could tell you i could make some pretty amazing things out independent of rangers but like i could make some pretty incredible things if i had all the money in the world and all the confidence of the people who provided that money to just simply execute um but Unfortunately, for as much as we would love to believe that franchises or narratives are pure, um, 
that they are not products, uh, I, I think that would be a falsity. That um, I think it's important that everybody knows that television shows, especially um, franchise television shows, especially franchise television shows with massive toy lines, um, those things have lots of stakeholders and and lots of red tape. And at the best of times, it it sings, and everybody's in the same key, like I said. And and at the worst mm-hmm. of times, it doesn't. But um, but it doesn't make the exercise any less worthwhile. The whole point is, um, is you can always, I think there's always a capacity to do better and there's always capacity to learn something. And uh, that's my sincere hope is the good folks that are in the driver's seat now, um, hopefully they have the tools that they need to make it something great because it has so much potential. That's why we need that animated show. <laughs> Use all the teams. You don't have to worry about the actors being there. Be great. Maybe. Are one of those factors? I mean, of course, there are so many factors into making a television show. But one of the factors I would assume, I would, I would, one would think, would be budget. And if you are given a certain type of budget to make what is it 44 episodes and it i guess my question would be is something like beast morphers was that a typical television budget that is akin to what akin to the same types of other uh children's tv shows one would see cannot answer that question all right. And so then let's get to question those final questions that you can answer. The lightning um, round. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, I'm just trying to go over any other questions that we may have missed here. Um, I've answered that, answer that, answer that. Great, great, great. Um, when when we i think another another realm of the franchise were the work the expansion of games whether it be mobile uh you have uh uh i was gonna say desk but tabletop uh those types of games and so anything that was on the cutting room floor <laughs> cutting room floor uh the the tabletop floor <laughs> or anything that is uh that that could have been with either the mobile game or the games that we have on consoles uh, that you could talk about that maybe didn't make the cut. Uh, how about I just tease that in a few in a future power down? Uh, let's talk about the game that never was. Oh, the dating sim. <laughs> <laughs> think, think bigger. Uh, oh boy it's been a long time since we've had a a, a first person shooter i think right like it's been a minute i don't think we've i i think it, look i had pitched um some game industry friends of mine back in saban to do some concept art for a project that we shopped around and it was a big and ambitious game and could have could have done some cool stuff um so maybe maybe at a future day i'll reveal some of that art Ooh, power rangers go i'm gonna collect me a Lerigo. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh, Bischoff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fine. We will table that. Okay. For another day. Uh, so the, I think we've talked about that. Uh, the movies. I mean, that's, uh, that alone is like, could be a, a separate episode. That'll have to, however, yeah. That'll have to be a part two. <laughs> that, that, that alone. However, come on. The, the, a lot of people were, were saying that since the movie itself didn't do as well as, as one Haim Saban would hope, he was just like, yo, let me just, let me just, let me just sell this off. I'm done. I'm, it's a wrap. I'm done. Like, get out of here. So is there any credence to that? Um, I don't, I don't know. I think that's really more of, um, that sounds a lot like online chatter. What I will say though is the 2017 film, um, you know, the worst thing that it had going for it is that it came out a week after the largest family movie of all time, Beauty and the Beast. Yep. And you could imagine that a movie. I think that... it came out the same time. Uh, it I think... was. I think it was the. Week it was a week or two later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so. And it still uh, came number two. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So Beauty and the Beast is one of those moments in time where. This doesn't happen a lot at the box office, but you get what's called a four quadrant movie, which means it's basically for everybody and everybody goes and sees it. And then everybody goes and sees it again. And then everybody goes and sees it a third time. It is entirely suffocating to everything else that comes out around that time, regardless of genre or audience or whatever. Beauty and the Beast is like one of those, was one of those, like, I don't know, once once in a decade kinds of moments where um, it ate all the market share and nothing else could breathe. Um, and unfortunately, Power Rangers, a very 2017, um, a very admirable movie in its own right, just didn't, it didn't have a chance. It mathematically did not have a chance. And I, I don't know. I don't know in my circles who's talking about Beauty and the Beast. Cause I, I I'm just going, I'm just going to put it out there that like it, it ate up all the air at the time and now nobody talking about it I, no offense like like there are other movies in the disney pantheon where people are just like yo i gotta go like watch that movie again like beauty and the beast so forever i will hate that live action movie forever <laughs> forever um yeah they're doing yeah, a spin-off okay. series now Yep. Next question. I, yep. I'm not even. I'm not even doing it. I'm not even doing this right now. Um, so, uh, what made you no longer uh, be with Hasbro? Oh, great question. I can answer this pretty straight on. Um, it wasn't by choice. Um, so, uh, I was just a number on a page. Uh, one thing that most people don't know, or don't, or don't. I can't say don't know, but. One, pe one thing that most people don't attribute enough to is um, Hasbro acquired E1, which is an entertainment company. This is all public knowledge. I'm not revealing anything. Um, and that was a very expensive uh, purchase, I imagine. And so uh, best as I, I've been able to do, so I was just a name on a page, a number on a page. Um, I was one of probably many um, at that time and, and uh, in that year. And you know, unfortunately, that meant the end of my time with Power Rangers. But, um, but yeah, that's really, it was no more complicated than that. It was just 
a day I wasn't hoping for, certainly, and, and didn't anticipate, but um, it was for factors entirely outside of my control. But did they take care of you, sir? I'm just saying. I mean, did they take care of you? Like, were you like, all right, you know? I can't. I can't talk about that, but I appreciate <laughs> okay, you asking. Okay. okay, I'm just saying, well-being is important. Your well-being is very important to us. So you know, just wanted, <laughs> just, we just wanted to inquire. I, um, I will say it was a very difficult time for me. It took me something like eight. 10 months to really kind of piece myself back together after that experience. Um, and, and a lot of that had to do with just how much it it had mattered to me, how much I was invested. Um, and, uh, and I'm just very, very grateful for the way that it all played out because, you know, I found myself over at Funko and I, I legitimately could not be happier in many respects. I'm happier. Um, and I'm being challenged to do things that, uh, lean on old talents of mine and on the same token, develop new tools that I've never had before, getting access to all sorts of incredible people because we've got 1300 active licensee or licensors or licenses, excuse me. Um, you know, so I'm just, uh, circumstantially in retrospect, I'm very, very grateful. It all played out the way that it played out. And lastly, I mean, since you're at Funko, a little bit of Funko, and, and and really, you can answer what you can and what you can't, because honestly, I want you to keep your coins. We don't want you to lose your coins, we want you to keep the coins. <laughs> uh, so there was a, there was a rush, or not a rush, that's the wrong word. There was this, like, yes, Power Rangers Funkos are here. We're, do, we're selling all variations. We're getting into the monsters. We're doing this or whatever. And then not too much, not too much. Mm -hmm. So uh, can you speak on if this has, this is a pause, this is a long pause or something that is still on the table in terms of a working relationship? Sure, um, I don't know. When I was I, like, I had signed the original deal when I was at Saban and we got aggressive with it and we had a lot of fun. Um, these days, I would say that, you know, there's a lot cycling through the studio. You never know. But far be it from from um, from Funko to turn down an opportunity, especially when there's fan demand. So um, I, you know, I can't speak on behalf of Funko. I can't speak to um, our relationship, but. Uh, with with Hasbro, but I can simply say that you know I'm a lifelong fan of um, certainly of Funko, but certainly of Rangers as well, and I would personally love to see more. So let's see what happens. Lisa wants the Zeo pops. <laughs> we were right there, we were right there. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. I digress. And lastly, you had a TEDx talk. In oh yeah, 2016 about the rise of the geek. Yeah. What would be your TEDx talk or your TED talk? Eh, let's, 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 let's promote you. What would be your TED talk for 2021? Oh, yeah, it's, that's an interesting question. I have put no thought into this, um, dear listener. So I'm going to do my best to improvise an answer. These days, what would I tell people or what would I encourage people? You have 30 minutes. <laughs> on well, the stage to present 
one topic that everyone will watch for the rest of their lives. Yeah, because or, or not this is not just TEDx. This is Ted. This is Ted, the big guy, the big, the big coonus. You, you're getting yeah. up there. See, I'm trying to stall for you. I'm trying to make it, you know, so that you can come up with your question. So then you get up there. You're in front of everybody. Okay, there might be a Elon Musk over there. You know, counting sure. up his billions. You know, there might be a you know, a Tim Cook, you know, might be looking at you, sure. you know, and then you get up on the stage and you talk about the following thing. Sure. In my first TEDx, I talked about the composition of creative and why it means so much to us. And I think in a follow-up story, I would attempt to piggyback on that and talk about the value of franchise, the composition of franchise and the symbiosis between community, social listening, and the genesis of content and the value of that content. So I would speak to creating worlds that are in real time being narratively written in conjunction with its audience so that the audience can always see themselves reflected, but that the audience is not the nucleus of that world. It's the story that is the nucleus of that world. The audience is an orbiting body, an influencing body in a gravitational sense, but not the nucleus of that world. And that, and that is like the best model, arguably, for how franchises can and should not only run, but be created, is that at, at the premise, at the promise of these story worlds, um, there is a cohesive and linear story that is that is gravitationally interesting. And when done right, with the right people, the people that are invested, um, you can get an audience to orbit that body and influence that body. And in turn, you can go to some pretty incredible spaces from there. So it'd be something like that. I thank you, Jason Bischoff. I'm gonna give you a government name. I thank you <laughs> for joining us and uh, what was an enlightening conversation you know like i think that i think that it will give some clarity to uh the goings-ons behind the scenes and some of the minutia that people might not be aware of and and some who may be aware of but need to be reminded because you know we get old up in these streets so you're like we got to be reminded okay um thank you again for coming on to the show well, uh, first and foremost, thank you for the opportunity. It's lovely to reconnect kind of in this new life. If I didn't answer your question today or, or if you've got additional questions coming out of today's listen, um, first and foremost, keep listening to No Pink Spandex because they're incredible people and they'll likely touch that topic in a future date. Um, or you're always welcome to reach out to me on social media. Um, I'm at Shadow Piper these days. And if I can't answer your question, I'll attempt to do so. I still love being a part of the Ranger Nation community. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate these kinds of opportunities.